Welcome to the Code Life Podcast with me, Carl Beach, and my great mate, Nathan Blackaby. Hello, mate. Steve Callahan, my body is rotting before my eyes. It is beauty surrounded by ugly fear. I write in my log that it is a view of heaven from a seat in hell. And I'm reading from a book called Mm. True Grit, uh, epic stories of heroism and survival that shaped my life by Bear Grylls. And this is the account of an extraordinary survivor called Steve Callahan in the book. Is that him there? Is that his picture? Yeah. <clears throat> Got a beard. Good beard. I think that picture is when he was uh, seeing better days. He looks a bit frail there, mate. It starts like this. Why does a man or a woman dream of crossing an ocean in a tiny boat that could easily be crushed by the tremendous forces at work in the waves why would they wish to endure the kind of relentless solitude that human beings are simply not used to it's a question worth asking because so many have done it the seven seas have been crossed single-handedly by all manner of sailors and almost any of them would want a place in this book Take Mick Dawson and Chris Martin, for example, who rode four and a half thousand miles across the Pacific in 189 days. Wow. Or Laura Decker, who at the tender age of 14 had to battle not only the oceans, but also the courts that took her into shared care with her parents to stop her becoming the youngest person to circumnavigate the globe single-handed. Those both took true grit. Ask any of these people the same question, you'll probably get a different answer. But perhaps the most poetic comes from the awesome... Steve Callahan. He said that to go to sea was a way of reminding himself how insignificant all humans are in the face of the natural world, that it is a way of glimpsing the face of God. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. But in 1981, when 29-year-old Steve Callahan's tiny boat suffered the worst that the sea could throw at it, he got a chance to glimpse not only the face of God but of the face of hell itself that's a statement Mm. and we'll read on in a moment Mm. and find out more about it and one of the codes is I'll never give up because Jesus never gives up on me Mm. but this is obviously going to be a next level story I mean why do people do that I mean I've done you know I've I've cycled a few nations but that's with a group of guys with a backup yeah nothing compared to this I mean, you could die. But you could die it, at any time. But is it what we talked about before, the law of diminishing returns? You sail, you take a few extreme trips, then it's not enough. Do you know, I think that's true. Like, I've spoken to quite a few mount- mountaineers, mm. rock climbers. Mm. They've always got to go higher. Got to go higher. Faster. Got to go higher. Longer. No ropes. Yeah. Keep yeah. pushing. What's These the next? three yeah. soloists who climb without ropes <clears throat> got to take it to the next level. Yeah. We're searching. Searching, searching. for something. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Back to the book. Steve's boat was called Napoleon Solo and he'd built it himself. It was 20 feet long and well made. Steve had built a number of watertight containers into the hole to help its buoyancy in bad weather, but it was light enough to travel fast when the winds were right. There is a special kind of bond between the sailor and his boat, and that was definitely the case with Steve and Napoleon Solo. He knew it intimately, it was all he had. With a mate, he used it to cross the Atlantic from west to east and it held together well. So he already. Just two of them crossed the Atlantic in wow. this boat. 
We had always had a dream, a solo transatlantic crossing from east to west. He wouldn't be the first to do it, and although not many vessels the size of Napoleon's solo had completed such a journey, some had managed to do it. That wasn't a point for Steve. He wasn't out to break records. This is interesting. Hmm. He was just out to test himself, his abilities, and the boat he had designed and built. So he signed up for a transatlantic race called the Mini Transat, and it would take him from England to Antigua. At least that was the plan. So that's interesting. It's like, you know, I'm competing against the man in the mirror here. Yeah. I'm doing a race because it's available, but actually yeah. I'm not bothered about that. I yeah. need to test myself. Yeah. There is something in that. Yeah. No, we like to push ourselves to me sometimes. Well, not everyone, but mm. test yourself. What's yeah. my limit? Yeah. Three days into the race, the weather grew alarmingly bad. The boat found itself riding to the top of 10-foot waves before crashing violently back down on the other side. The wind was screaming all around. Water was coming in. The hole had cracked. And Steve knew it wouldn't be long before the force of the ocean exploited that weakness and ripped the boat apart. They had no option but to end, head for the Spanish coast. His race was over. Long story short, he was out of the race. It took four weeks to repair the boat, but he decided on the 29th of January 1982 to get back in the boat and still head to the Caribbean because he still wanted to test himself for a week. Things were fine, it says, but then things changed and the sea became stormy, but the weather was bad, not impossible, so he carries on. And then it says this. But then suddenly came a massive ear-splitting noise something had hit the boat steve had no idea what but he later decided it must have been a whale so immense was the impact now you imagine that he's actually at this point he's below decks mm. trying to rest and mm. say you're, you're in the middle of the atlantic on your own and there's this deafening cracking roaring banging Bang. noise yeah. yeah and you like you hear the hole is ripping apart and then suddenly it says water was crashing over him the boat was going down and if Steve didn't get off it quickly, he would be going down with it. There was a life raft on the boat. Steve burst through the hatch that led to the deck where it was kept. He was supposed to get the raft into the water before inflating it, but that wasn't an option. He was like a bucking bronco. He yanked the, yanked the cord. The raft inflated just as a wave hit. He jumped into the raft. The wave carried him off the deck into the ocean but he didn't cut the rope to his boat because all his supplies so the boat is in the life raft yeah. the boat Napoleon Solo is going down but all his supplies are in there so he keeps the rope on the boat and he's thinking how do I get my supplies off before the boat goes down yeah he was cold drenched his eyes stung from the driving salt but the survival instinct in him was strong he pulled himself up towards the side of the sinking boat and climbed aboard again ignoring the huge waves crashing above him he lowered himself into the hatch, into the cabin of a sinking boat. Oh, it's horrible. He's come off the life raft. Yeah. He's going down with the boat because <laughs> he wants to get his supplies. He said it was strangely quiet in the cabin as he gasped for air, submerged himself and felt blindly for his emergency bag. Oh. He found it, got back through the hatch, back into the life raft. Uh, to cut some detail out back on the raft, he grabbed anything he saw floating out of the boat, a cabbage, a box of eggs and a tin of peanuts. There were still more vital supplies on the boat, 10 gallons of water, survival rations for 80 days, a thick neoprene survival suit should he return. But he was too exhausted to do any more. He'd have to wait till morning. For now, he was abandoned on his circular inflatable raft, huddled under the tent-like structure that's supposed to protect him. And then well before dawn, it happened. 
The rope attaching the raft to the solo broke in the storm. Boat and raft drifted away from each other. Steve limbs hurt with exhaustion and cold. He was covered in wounds. He had noticed himself sustaining as he escaped the boat. The storm was still raging, filling the life raft with cold, salty water. He engaged his sea anchor, a kind of underwater parachute to slow you down so he wouldn't capsize. Even so, it was touch and go. Steve knew that a single capsize would catapult him free and kill him. Night turned to day. The gale raged on. He is now living permanently on the edge of death. Mm. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, on his own, with a tin of peanuts. <laughs> That's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. <clears throat> Says here, Steve had an emergency position indicating radio beacon, had a range of 250 miles, enough battery life for 72 hours. He turned it on, but it was useless. He was 450 miles to the nearest shipping channels. No planes passed this way. He was lost and alone. No one could hear him scream. Ugh. You're all alone. At night, he protects himself from hypothermia by wrapping up his drenched sleeping bag. Almost instantly, his sore, salty skin erupted with hundreds of putrid boils. His back, knees and backside were covered with cuts and bruises. The salt stung continually as it wormed its way into his flesh. He had supplies, he says, for 14 days. He reckoned he'd die after 14 days of dehydration. He had some solar stills in his survival pack, which uh, used the heat of the sun to evaporate salt water to make fresh water, but they were useless when the sea was rough. He rationed himself to a mouthful of water every six hours as he set up the storm. Couldn't drink seawater because they poisoned his kidneys. And there was water everywhere, but totally unusable. So he's stuffed. And you go delusional, don't you, if you drink yeah. seawater? Yeah, he's stuffed. The storm subsided after three days, so he's toughing out on the edge of death for three days. But he says, But when you're at sea, there are other kinds of weather you have to worry about. Invisible weather under the sea. The currents form massive underwater highways. Mm -hmm. If your raft gets caught in one of these, you have no choice but to submit to its mercy. Without sails or motor, there's no way of getting out of these currents. And Steve found himself in one. Didn't know what way he was going. He was hoping it would take him to land. Now it takes a turn for the worst. This ramps up. Worse than that. Ramps up. On his fourth day at sea, Steve spotted a fin approaching. At first he was worried that it was a shark, but then he realised he was being followed by a school of Dorados, big strong live fish and a potential source of food. He had a spear gun he tried to shoot, but the problem with the spear gun is uh, the refraction in the light of the water, you never actually know where the fish truly are, so he mm. kept missing and missing. He's absolutely hungry, you know, desperate. Scabs started to form over the soles of his legs, but they were washed away when a wave broke after the raft and his legs got wet. Daytime temperature increased to the 90s. He had to cool himself by pouring seawater over his sores and over Whoa. his body, so he's constantly in pain. Tried to get into spear fish and it worked, but the fish escaped his weakened arms as he fought to pull it aboard. His water supplies were drinking. He started to starve. Things were looking bad. Then it says this. True grit isn't just about endurance it's about ingenuity too before we get back to the book i think it's a very interesting phrase because a lot of people <clears throat> at this point when you come to the end of yourself yeah you stop thinking um, and many many of us when we work snows and everything's crowded in you lose the ability to take a step back mm. 
and think carefully and objectively about mm. the situation you're in. I mm. love the scene mm. on We Were Soldiers, Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. You know that scene about yeah. Al Moore, Colonel, <coughs> Lieutenant Colonel Al Moore yeah. in the Ladrang Valley fights the first combat mission on on the Vietnamese soil mm. and they drop the air cav, the newly formed air cavalry into the wrong place. Mm. Fantastic book. Mm. We Were Soldiers but Young is the actual book I think or Young Once but the film is called We Were Soldiers. True story. Mm. And their position gets overrun because they drop a few hundred soldiers onto like thousands of Vietnamese yeah, soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And they're massively overrun. Yep. Bullets coming in everywhere. Everyone's getting killed. And what he does, he doesn't flap. Mm. He stands up in the heat of the battle and he gets himself together. He takes a deep breath and he takes an... And it's a brilliant scene in the film. Mm. He does a 360 look around and then he issues a calm command, broken arrow, mm. which basically means dump everything on my position it's the only way we're going to get out of this mm. this is what they do and they turn the battle around but it was the ability to stay calm and think yeah when you're at the end of yourself yeah yeah and a lot of blokes because we've got testosterone mm. we explode mm. when we're at the end of ourselves mm. or we just get in the corner and shrivel mm. up yeah yeah but it's that ability as a man to take a step back and a deep breath yeah, yeah. in the moment in the moment when the battle's raging see i think <clears throat> i totally agree with you and i think that comes about through training and preparation yeah being ready for that scenario yeah because I, I i often if i'm out you know you know when we had this height of terror attacks you know remember in yeah. paris and all this stuff and <clears throat> and we were like on critical level I, I would go into a venue hotel restaurant anywhere and I would look for a few things. If something happened here, how would I get out? If if someone started shooting, where would the hard cover be? And my mates <laughs> laughed at me. They were like, you're mad. But then I thought, if it did happen, I could be the one bloke in that room who's calm enough, who's thought about it. I do the same thing in an Indian restaurant. I always scope out where the toilets are. Because <laughs> if it kicks off... You've got to know. You've got to know. I like that scene, actually. In, uh, what's that... Um What's the film, Robert De Niro film, where he's the undercover guy? Uh, Ronin. Oh, yeah. He's a CIA yeah, agent, yeah. deep cover. Yeah. And before he walks in the building, he scopes the way Scans, out and hides yeah. his gun. Exactly. It's a Ronin thing. It's a Ronin thing. You just I love that your heart. I mean, it's not it's not heavily rated on IMDb, but I, lo I love Ronin. Good driving he's scene. He's proper deep cover, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. CIA. Yeah. But it is that training, conditioning of the mind. <laughs> Here we go. Back to the book. Steve had a Tupperware box and some empty water cans. He managed to cobble these together into a solar still that actually produced fresh water, not salt. See, that's amazing. He's at yeah. the end of himself, yeah, yeah. and he's still working the problem. Still working the problem. Finally, he managed to spear a fish, not a dorado, but a much smaller trigger fish. They can be poisonous to humans and taste so bad that even sharks avoid them. But he was past caring about that. Mm. He's so fussy about stuff. Oh, yeah. He's like, I've just got to eat. You're going to be eating my food later. It's like that. It's like a trigger fish. Really? Yeah, it's all you got. <laughs> he ripped his teeth into the tough flesh and sucked down the bitter blood. Oh. It was disgusting and it made him want to be sick. He squished the eyes between his teeth. <laughs> he gobbled down the liver and the other organs and then hung one fillet up to dry for later. He had water but little food things were looking up <laughs> that's how bad it was it was looking up when he oh. ate a poisonous trigger fish raw just but, crunch through it but not for long right 
The shark arrived when the waters were calm. Steve was asleep on the raft and he felt its thick grey skin rub against the bottom of the vessel. If it punctured the raft with its teeth, that would be the end. Steve tried to spear it, but the point of the spear rebounded off the shark's tough skin. The beast swam lazily away, but that night, as Steve was trying to sleep, another one arrived. It almost capsized the raft, but Steve managed to chase it away. It was a reminder, though, that at sea, calm waters can be as dangerous wow. as rough ones. Wow. There's something in that about life, actually. Mm. Just when you think everything's going mm. well, keep your eye open. Mm. In the weeks that followed, Steve would have to fight off in the weeks that followed. Steve would have to fight off many more of these sharks as they tried to attack either his wife or the schools of Dorado that started to follow him. When he finally managed to spear a Dorado and bring it on board, he divided up the meat, dried it in the sun, rations for the days to follow. Then he discarded the inedible parts by throwing them as far as possible from the raft. If the sharks were to detect the blood, and they probably would, he wanted them as far from the raft as possible. He's thinking straight. Yeah. Thinking straight. Yeah. That's why he survived. Yeah. On his 14th day at sea, he saw a ship in the distance. He fired emergency flares. They went unnoticed. It would happen several times during his voyage of endurance as he crossed two major shipping lanes. Each time they faded uselessly into the sky. The mental anguish must have been desperate. When you see salvation slip away under your nose, it messes with you big time. Mm. There's a thought. So close to rescue. Yeah. And you and it slips away. Can you imagine the the feeling of defeat? You're literally yeah. hanging on, aren't you? And and But when do you think that's it, there's a ship. I'm saved. Uh, and there it goes. What keeps you going? I don't know. How would you how would you deal with that? Maybe you think I'm near a shipping lane. There'll be another, or got to cling on to that little, hang that on. little glimmer of hope somewhere inside. Yeah, but then is it in the extremities like this that you find that strength that your mind says we can do this? Maybe, maybe. Mm. Don't know until we're there. Mm. Back to the book. The raft had started to disintegrate. It's a story, isn't it? Oh, it's brutal. You had to keep it pumped up with an emergency hand pump but the salt the sun and the battering of the aggressive Dorados caused punctures releasing air and letting water in so now he's <laughs> after weeks the fish is starting to put holes in his life raft he had a little repair kit but just try repairing a puncture when those surfaces are wet he was forced to improvise here we go again plugged holes with pieces of sponge or time called tightly around punctures to keep the air from hissing out it was clear the raft had a finite life. It was supposed to last 40 days at sea, but 40 days had passed and there was no sign of land. Steve's body was disintegrating too. He had no meat on his legs or behind, just bones sticking through sore skin. He was covered with unhealed cuts and boils which had grown bigger, become infected, burst and turned into agonising ulcers that grew wider and deeper with each passing day. He sustained himself with lumps of dried dorado. He worried he had no urge to move his bowels, despite the large puffy hemorrhoid bulging from his backside. His gut was shutting down. He's desperate. They this is apart, bad. Man. He looked like a wild man. His hair was matted, bony body, skin covered in sores and fish scales. Days, nights and weeks 
past. How long could you survive like this? He scraped rust to empty food cans into his drinking water to get some iron into his body. Flipping it. That's clever. That's that's clever, isn't it? What do you think of that? That's amazing. To think to think that clearly. He scraped rust from empty tin cans and ate it to get iron into his body. If he caught a Dorado with undigested fish in its stomach, he gorged on it as if it were the greatest treat oh. of all, two for the price of one. <laughs> Patches of skin rotted away, giving off a foul, malodorous stench. His spear gun broke. He had to improvise by tying a small blade to the spear's shaft. Each time he struck a fish, the shaft buckled slightly. It wasn't going to last forever. Uh, and so it goes on. He's covered in sores and pain. There's there's high waves break the solar steel. He's half submerged now in the boat. Yeah. Uh, he's starving and he's literally physically rotting. <clears throat> but this is what it says. Mm. But he wanted to live. And sometimes that urge is stronger than even the forces of nature herself. Begrill says this, I know that feeling, it's powerful. It comes from deep inside and it's hard to explain. Some see it as the hand of the Almighty reaching out, touching us to keep us going. Mm. Interesting from Bairn. Mm. Follower of Christ. Mm. Steve kept working. He never gave up. Mm. He uses a folded canopy to catch Rome water. He snared a couple of seabirds that landed on his disintegrating boat. He gorged on their meat innards and semi-digested silverfish in their guts. He continued to catch triggerfish and dorado to keep in the fight. Because that's what it was. A war of attrition between him, the vast ocean, and the brutal forces of nature. A war he was determined to win even though the odds were vastly stacked against him by now his body and mind were closing down he later spoke of feeding the ghosts of all those who had ever been lost at sea surrounding him waiting for him to become one of their number his, his mind shutting down haunting, isn't it? haunting yeah. but he says this but they would have to carry on waiting mm. Steve wasn't quite beaten yet love this guy he is amazing <laughs> Pretty he's awesome, perfect isn't, isn't he he's amazing like survivor yeah yeah after 76 days adrift alone at sea Steve Callahan saw a lighthouse twinkling in the distance it was the Caribbean island of Guadeloupe no way he knew his ordeal wasn't over yet though the currents and waves could easily smash him against the rocks and he'd be too weak to defend himself from the elements but for once luck was with him he had been throwing inedible fish guts overboard so a crowd of seabirds were following him by chance, some fishermen saw the birds, knowing that birds at sea normally fish nearby, so they set out for some sport. But they found a very different quarry, floating helplessly and close to death among the waves. They helped Steve aboard. He had lost a third of his body weight. It would take six weeks before he could walk again. Wow. But after nearly 11 weeks railing against death, Steve Callahan was finally safe. And this is what it says at the end. The ocean is vast, far bigger than anyone can really imagine when they haven't taken it on single-handed. True. There's plenty of life under the water, of course, but we are poorly adapted to join it. At sea, we are no longer king of the hill. Mm -hmm. 
all of which makes Steve Callahan's 76 Days at Sea one of the most amazing stories of survival, a reminder of what humans are capable of when their bodies, minds and souls are pushed to their extremes. Mm. But Steve Callahan makes this book not only because of his achievements during those long weeks of hell, and this podcast I should say, it's also because of the lessons he learned from it. Before the sinking of the Napoleon solo, he admits that, like most of us, he was preoccupied with insignificant complaints. He mistook, as we all do, the difference between what we need and what we want. Mm. We humans like to surround ourselves with material possessions and convince ourselves that they are necessary, necessary to our happy existence. But happiness can sometimes be masked in adversity. And sometimes it isn't until we lose every comfort we'd ever known that we truly appreciate the simple truth that the best things in life are never bought. Pride, joy, calm, simplicity of existence and our relationships with those around us are the greatest wealth we ever own. And I would add to that list. And our relationship with Christ our Saviour mm. changes the game. Mm. Not just the people around us, yeah. but knowing we have a God on our side. But isn't it interesting? <clears throat> isn't it interesting it took that for him to realise the simplicity of life and the relationships we have and we would add our faith in Christ actually then mm. you strip everything else away the rest is clutter yeah what do you think of that yeah <coughs> I agree um, it's, it's a brutal experience to go through isn't it well, I mean it's level brutal I, I I want that revelation without the cost I don't want to rock. And the, and the Bible boat. talks about it, doesn't it? Live I think a quiet so. life, work with your yeah, hands, yeah. keep things, you know, the Bible talks about keeping things simple all the mm. time, doesn't it? But there is something here, <clears throat> just taking us back, <clears throat> there is something here on what motivated that search. And I, I remember going to Lanzarote, you know, there's a Lanzarote Sports Week that we do at CBM. <clears throat> yeah. And, and you've been before, and, and Lanzarote is like the quite service of the moon, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. a weird place. Yeah volcanic i took a i rented a mountain bike and i decided for once in my life i would cycle that bike and give it everything in one direction i'd save nothing for the return journey because i always budget or plan or save some energy for the way back and i absolutely spent myself on the outward journey and crawl literally crawled back i, I was in such bad shape and it it was a pursuit of how far did it go it wasn't that far but because it's like the surface of the moon it's yeah. not easy riding far, is it yeah. maybe 10-12 miles oh. but as, as hard much going as it, it was hard going yeah. but I did it out of a search for seeing what I was capable of yeah and I kind of see that in this story I think that's marathon and yeah. all that sort of stuff I want to know what I can do what can I do yeah. Where can, how can I take myself to the limit because mm. he searched there he didn't. He weren't looking for 11 weeks abandoned at sea yeah. but he, he wanted to test himself didn't he yeah I had an experience once where which has really stayed with me mm. where <coughs> I was training for on a, like this alpine cycle we're going to do a thousand miles and cycle over the Alps and, yeah. stuff. and I was doing this training ride in the heat I was going up uh, it was actually in Lanzarote and there's this climb called Taboyesco, and I'd already done about 70 miles. Then you have to go up this massive climb, and uh, oh, I was shattered. I mean, I'm jersey's covered in salt, and it's really hot. Yeah. And this valley is like Death Valley, it's all rock, and the heat's oh. bouncing off it, and it's barren. Yeah. And I got to the top, I slogged my up to the top, and there was one tree with a little bit of shape. And I got off my bike, uh, and I sat under the tree hmm. and then a little bit of water left and a couple of jelly babies 
and I and I had a zip of the water and I had a couple of jelly babies and the cool breeze under that shade and a little bit of water trickling down my throat mm. and the sweetness of the jelly baby, the sugar, I actually thought at that point, it's all I need. Mm. A little bit of shade mm. and a drink of water. But then when you get back, it's like, I have pizza and a couple of beers. Yeah. You know? yeah. And all the complexity starts. Yeah, yeah. But there is something about, yeah, you know, we don't need as it. much as we think. Um, have but you ever have you ever cleared out anyone's house when they've died? Yeah, and you. I remember my grandparents. It's so much stuff. Yeah, and but I'm the same. You look at my house, full of stuff, and it is that. I do wrestle with this every now and again. Um, you know, I was looking around my study. I've mm. got a study. I converted the cellar. Mm. And uh, I've got so much stuff in there. I mean, I love books, and I've got loads of books, mm. and I've got gizzards and stuff. Mm. And I think, you know, when I see a picture of someone's ultra clean place with nothing in it, yeah, I think I I like that. Mm. And I'm wondering whether I need to go down that route. You are quite minimalist, though, in lots of ways. I think. Do you? Yeah. Well, I need to take it to the next level. No, I don't surround myself with stuff that simple much. living. I, I try to. Mm. I Can try to. Yeah. But I've got a bit of clutter in my study. That's the only thing. I don't have. I don't have lots of stuff. No. But this. Um, there's this brilliant passage in there, Romans five. Yeah. Not only this, but we also <coughs> exhort in our tribulations, Romans five verse three, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Don't end there. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Mm. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that, that, that for me, sums up my take on all this, mm. really, that when we persevere through tribulations and trials, our character is proved, hope is built up, and we, we re-engage with the love of God mm. through the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm. But we so easily quit. Mm. Why do we quit, do you think? Just just can't see can't see the hope in it. Because when that boat turned up and then he watched it go again. Oh, I, a lot of people just want to curl up and die. I chuck myself overboard. Just chuck it, yeah. Just I've had enough. Feed me to the sharks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But he didn't quit. No. Well, there's a couple of very powerful lines in there. His desire to live was stronger. That's mm. powerful, that, mate. Yeah. And I wonder, too, because he'd already done an Atlantic crossing. He was obviously a seasoned sailor. Yeah. yeah. Like, he'd built up perseverance and, you know, robustness. Mm. And I do think, you know, we said this right at the start, I do wonder if there is a lack of robustness in men these days. Mm. When it comes to issues of faith. Yeah, and clinging on. You know, like a lot of guys I talk to, I've had, I've had enough, I'm not getting anything out of the church, mm. and I'm not... Mm. And I'm like, come on. Yeah, hold the line. Hold the line. You know, it's his kingdom business. Mm. You know, Jesus died for you, man. Mm. You know, tough up. Yeah. I was reading James actually as we were thinking about this one love the book of James consider it great joy or pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials mm. because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance 
and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Yeah. Pure joy. Amazing. When you're going through a trial, do you still go, oh my word, this is pure joy? Yeah. That's such a shift in the way we're supposed to think. Yeah. Huh? And, and, you know, maybe, maybe as a takeaway, what we need to be saying as men of God is when you're up against it, it could be at work, it could be mm. family, mm. it could be church, wherever it is, you say, no. No, no, God is with me in this. Mm. No, I'll, I'll take the godly path and I'll cling on to my saviour. Mm. I'll be the man. I'll be the man that God has purposed me to be. I ain't quitting too quickly. Through the good and the bad. Yeah, I'm going to keep on, I'll keep my feet on level ground. Mm -hmm. I'll yeah, walk on that, that narrow path. I'm going to keep, I'll get my head down until <coughs> God says stop. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to keep going. In your marriage. Yeah. With your kids. Yeah. With your job. If you're a church leader and you're getting all argy bargy of people, you yeah. Set your face like flint. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah, keep going. Get some good... The other thing is we need some good fellas around. Fellowship around you. I mean, yeah. like, after we do these podcasts, we'll have a little bit of uh, fried dorado. Yeah, we will. And we'll hang out a bit and it encourages each other, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it does. We'll that, watch that a fellowship. film. Fellowship. Yeah, yeah. It's quite an old phrase. Set yeah. your face like flint. Yeah. I like that. So do that, boys. Set your faces like Flint. Thanks for listening. <laughs>